This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 247. And the quote of the day is from Leonardo da Vinci, who said, realize that everything connects to everything else. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I feel like I haven't talked to you guys. In a while. I don't know. It's been four days, but I don't know. I miss you. Uh, so a couple things going on. One, I went to hang out with Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers down at the Wells Fargo Center last week in my hometown in Philly and got to hang backstage, went to the show, all that stuff. And we created a mini documentary uh, sort of documenting the whole thing, driving down, hanging out with them, all that stuff. It's really cool. You can check it out if you go to uh, our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash drummers resource. Subscribe while you're there. We're going to be doing more videos, more documentaries, more sort of day in the life sorts of things. So if you want to head over there, drummers resource or youtube.com forward slash drummers resource, sorry, and you can subscribe, watch the mini documentary. We're also going to take the inner, because the, there's a full interview that I did with Chad at the show. It's about a half hour interview. So we're going to be posting that as well on the podcast and also on YouTube. So uh, you'll have all that stuff to check out, but the, the mini documentary is live there on the YouTube channel right now. So another thing, uh, I've been going back and forth with my Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, and determining whether I wanted to combine everything to one thing to my to my personal page or to keep it separate, keep Drummer's Resource and the Nick Ruffini separate. And I don't call myself the Nick Ruffini. That's just my handles on uh, on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. So I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Uh, if you're following Drummer's Resource and not following me, like my personal pages, or vice versa, uh, I, I'd, I'd love to know because I want to start doing other things music related, but not they might not be 100% drum related. And my first my first priority is you guys, the listener. So I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. I don't want to alienate anyone, but I also don't want to, I don't want anybody to miss out on the stuff that I'm doing. Cause it's not like I'm going to be doing stuff about like, you know, car insurance or something that nobody care that you guys don't may not care about. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm not using uh, the leverage that I have on the social media channels to push other things that you guys don't want to care or don't want to hear about or anything. So let me know what you think. You can either just tweet me or, you know, shoot me a message on, you know, email me, whatever you want to do, but I would really love to hear your feedback or leave the comments in, in the, uh, in the show notes of this podcast, but I would really like to get your feedback. So if you could do that for me, I would appreciate it. Or you can just follow my personal channels everywhere. I'm at the Nick Ruffini. So I finally got everything all the same. So I'm at the Nick Ruffini on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. So that is cool if you want to follow me there. And if not, that's cool too. So I want to get into this conversation today with John Lamb. So I met John at Nam, uh, John Lamb at Nam. And uh, met him, I was hanging with Daniel Glass, as I do a lot, and it was and Daniel actually introduced me to him and John wrote this book anatomy of drumming and I get a lot of emails I get a lot of questions about posture about pain about injury recovering from injury all of that stuff and I frankly don't have enough knowledge to answer those questions for me I do 
what feels right to me, but I don't know how to tell anyone else to get their posture right or, you know, avoid injury or anything like that because I, I'm not educated enough to make that sort of that sort of decision or claim. But John is. He studied all of this stuff. He wrote the he wrote the book on it. And once I got once I met him, saw the book, I was like, I gotta have you on the podcast, man. So this podcast or this conversation gets a, it gets pretty deep. I'm gonna tell you that right off the bat. It's it's definitely a thinker's podcast session, but it's very important information. And then in the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash 247, you can check out all the links and the videos and the models and all the stuff that he's talking about in this in this session. Because like I said, it gets deep and, and it may even need some further explaining. So depending on how deep in the rabbit hole you want to go, all that information will be there for you at drummersresource.com forward slash session 247. So without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only John Lamb. John, what's happening, my man? Hey, how's it going, Nick? It's Glad go- to talk to you. <laughs> this is this is take number three for uh, for those of you who are listening. We've had some uh, we've had some te- technical difficulties, but we're forging through, and uh, the show must go on, as they say. So we uh, we're gonna we're gonna make this happen, come hell or high water. Yeah. So, so uh, I I mentioned uh, in the first two uh, episodes that we. T- <laughs> the first two uh, 30 second episodes that we did, but Daniel Glass introduced you and I uh, inter- introduced us at Nam, and the you were telling me about your book. I've heard of your book before, Anatomy of Drumming, and I think it's such an important book to be written for numerous reasons. Uh, obviously, to you know to prevent injury, to to sort of help people with their posture, to maybe fix some in- injury or cu- or chronic pain that they're having from playing, and coincidentally i get a ton of emails i get a lot of people uh asking me on social media uh you know commenting on different things asking about injury injury prevention how to set up their drum kit and all that stuff and frankly i don't i don't know the right answers i don't know what to tell people because i've never studied any of this stuff which you have um so let's get a little we're going to dive deep into the into the concepts and things like that but let's just sort of give a a brief overview of of the book what it's about and how it can help drummers with their with their posture with with how they're sitting with how they're playing things like that. Sure. Well, I like to compare it to music theory. So there's rules that govern the way that music works and when you understand those rules that allows you to be, to make better musical choices and to avoid as many musical mistakes uh that just allows you to express yourself better to do what it is that you'd like to do uh behind the drum set or anywhere else musically better uh there are also rules for moving and when you understand how those rules work uh when you understand the principles then that allows you to make better moving decisions so that allows you to sit better uh learn technique faster uh that kind of thing hmm so now where did this where did the idea for this come from were you were you struggling with this with pain or were you you know did you have cuz you're i mean you're obviously a drummer um mm-hmm. And so walk us down that road a little bit about about how this book came about. Well, it's it's a stream of a lot of different things put together. The <laughs> most, most things are. <laughs> yeah. The the most direct stream is uh, I studied it in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, uh, so uh there's a uh, 
classes in in this. I have a little bit of a different take on it. Uh, I explain it in a different way uh, than than the classes I took, but I've studied it formally. But what? So what did you study in college? Did you study drumming anatomy? The uh, sort of anatomy for musicians. Really? Uh, it classes the classes are called body mapping. And, uh, uh, I mean, I also studied biology and neurophysiology and some other things as well. Uh, so, you know, I did the whole cadaver dissection, all that fun stuff. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good times. The, uh, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, the only, the only problem I ever had with that was when somebody handed me the brain, <laughs> oh. <laughs> then, I a, then I had a quick little problem. But other than that, it wasn't too bad except for the smell. Right. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's another story. But uh, but yeah, so I studied uh, a lot of this formally, uh, and there are uh, you know sort of streams of thought on this that go back a really long way, and uh, it's it's really just straightforward. The I like I said, I explain it a little bit differently, and so the way I explain it is that people do what they think is going to work. Right. Right. You know, and so if you understand how things work, you get to make better choices. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the choices that you make are more effective. They, they meet your goals uh, better and they uh, and you get less resistance, less. Uh, uh, what's the right, right word for that? Less uh, uh, pushback, less. Uh, mm, ah, what's the right word for that? Anyway, you, you less uh, in. Well, in, in Buddhism, they call it unsatisfactoriness, well, you know, big, <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, uh, it, you know, it lets you meet your goals better. Hmm. So, so is there, let's, let's talk about the book, how it's broken down. So there's, there's a, like, what are the, what are the key components of this? Because I'm sure that, you know, people are, people are going to sit, cause people sit down at the drum set and they're like, okay, I have no idea. Well, I don't know where to start. I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate whether I'm doing the things correctly. So do you have a sort of a systematic way of evaluating it? Do you have, do you have it broken down into, into, uh, certain things? Unfortunately, it's like music theory in that there are a few simple rules, but the expression of it can be infinite. So I can't really set up a, uh, a clear system for how to evaluate yourself mm -hmm. because there's just so many options and ah. there's so many different variables. The, the basic idea, the basic information is pretty straightforward. Uh, but as far as evaluating somebody, how that specifically applies to you, you're the best one to know that. And so the approach I take is just to provide information. So the, the, the book goes through a couple of the basic ideas. It outlines the concept. It outlines uh, a couple of the most important principles, but then it goes sort of part by part through the body and just sort of explains how things work. Hmm. So when you're talking about technique, there is an approach to teaching that, uh, that some take uh, that's a really old approach that is basically you do what I say. This is the right way, and you do it this way, and you'll be fine. Right. And it's not really wrong, and it works great for some students, uh, but that's not the approach that I take. My approach is understand how things work, and then you get to choose an application for yourself. Ah, so, right. and, and this, this, you know, this really fits with my style of teaching because it's really empowering for the students because they get to be more creative with the information. It's not just you do what I say, it's you get to choose. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and sometimes, you know, you can create new new techniques. The uh, for example, I was uh, uh, 
talking about uh, swivel technique with mm -hmm. one of my students, and he started to uh, figure out a way to combine swivel technique with heel-toe technique. Mm. So that uh, uh, so as he's swiveling, he's putting he's doing upstroke and downstroke with e with each side. So and and that's not a technique I've seen before. Right. But yeah, it, it, it makes sense, and you know I played around with it a little bit. Works, you know. If you if I wanted to spend a lot of time on it, right. I could you know probably make something that work, that goes really fast that way. But so now, but a lot of the stuff that you talk about in the book could be applied to sitting at a desk too. Oh yeah, the, right? the body's the body. Right, yeah. or and, driving and people who drive often, or typing. You know. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. So you know, like like handwriting. You know, so handwriting is something that a lot of people don't really do that well. I mean, I'm not talking about the formation of the letters, but just the the actual holding of the pen. You know, people end up doing the same problems holding a pen as they would holding a drumstick, aka holding it too tightly, that kind of thing. Right, and it's not a, and it's not a. Uh... It's not an issue if you're not doing it frequently, but this repetitive stress motion of playing or sitting at a desk or typing or writing or, you know, walking with your head. Like I live in the city. So, uh, you know, if I if I have a if I'm walking incorrectly after a while, it becomes painful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And it, and it can come it can it can manifest manifest itself in a lot of different ways. One of the, the, the key ideas uh, for understanding the way that the body works is something called a tensegrity. A tensegrity. Uh -huh. and, and this is going to be hard to explain uh, just with voice. Uh, it's, it, it's something that makes a lot more sense if you have something in your hand. Uh, you know, something to physically to play around with. But basically the idea is uh, well, well, tensegrity is a combination of tension and integrity. And it was coined by Buckminster Fuller, the guy who did buckyballs and the geodesic domes and such. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea is that with a traditional structure, uh, you can think of a brick wall where you have one brick on top of another brick on top of another brick on top of another brick. And the weight from the top brick gets, gets sent down brick by brick all the way into the ground. Huh. Tensegrity structures aren't like that at all. Instead, they have uh, hard parts and soft parts. And the hard parts get squeezed together and the soft parts get stretched apart. Mm -hmm. So that the um, – uh, like I said, it's difficult to, to explain on the radio the, uh, um, or the podcast rather. The, uh, so that the, there is a constant level of tension that runs through the whole structure that sort of holds together all of those hard parts. Mm -hmm. And I can provide you a couple links uh, yeah, to videos yes. and such that you can put in the podcast notes. That would be um, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, not a problem at all. And uh, and to make a long story short, because um, I don't think that you can really do it justice just with words, uh, the a a tensegrity structure has advantages that a compression structure doesn't have in that it allows for a, a lot of mobility because you have parts that stretch. You know, the, a brick wall is just not very mobile. Right. It, it has a, a, a lot of really great things about it, but mobility is not one of them. Mm -hmm. um, a, a tensegrity structure, however, you can push and pull and move around. 
and and it stretches and contracts and moves back and forth. Is that sort of like a like a brick wall versus maybe like a bridge or something like that? Like a so yeah, you can think of so so think of a uh, um, like a suspension uh, bridge. A suspension bridge, exactly. Yeah. So a, a suspension bridge is a combination of ten, of tensegrity and uh, uh, compression. Mm-hmm. So you have these big pylons; those are the compression. Right. Right. But Which you then don't you want also, to be mobile. Right. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, at least not in the bridge. Right. Right. Um, and then, uh, then, but the cables are, are pulling things together. Mm-hmm. Right. And that allows for a certain amount of movement, uh, that allows for a much higher strength to weight ratio. Mm-hmm. And so with, with integrity structures, you can have things that hold together much better that are uh, uh, much lighter. And they're actually working on uh, designs for new Mars rover uh, based on tensegrity structure, uh, largely because of this, but also because of another principle of tensegrity structures, which is that when you move one part, it affects everything else. Uh. And this is uh, easy to show in with a model, uh, mm-hmm. and I carry those around with me uh, sometimes. I had them in my backpack at Nam. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, uh, so if you bump one area or if you if you move one part of it, the the, the tension parts uh, share that tension throughout the whole the whole structure. And so this is another advantage for like a Mars rover, because in a landing, when the thing hits the ground, instead of putting all of that force into the place that lands, that the the, the impact is shared throughout the entire structure. Mm hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, and so it makes it very strong that way. So you end up with a light and mobile, mobile and durable structure. Right. Right. And one of the principles of this, though, is that if you move one part, it affects the rest. Right. So that if you're sitting at the drum set and your posture is off, then that's going to affect the way that your arms move. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like when you say moving one thing affects the other, mm-hmm. obviously, like if you move your thumb, it's going to, you know, sort of affect your wrist and everything. But you're saying like if you move your foot, it's going to adjust, it's going to move your hand. It will. Yeah. That's uh, what I, so they're completely mm-hmm. interconnected. They're, they're totally interconnected. Now the body is both compression and tensegrity. Mm-hmm. So there's there's elements that are absolutely compression structures, like the arches of the foot. That's a that's a classic compression structure. Uh, but you also have, especially when it comes to the arms, uh, tensegrity structure. Mm-hmm. So one of the things about a tensegrity structure is that the hard parts don't actually touch each other. They're completely suspended in the uh, uh, in the matrix of the uh, 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 of of the stretchable parts, which in the body. The hard parts would be the bones, and the soft parts would be the muscles and the connective tissue. Right. So the only place where the arms, the, the bones from the arm, touch the rest of the skeleton is right at your sternum, at your uh, uh, breastbone. Um, so that's the, the first joint in the arm is uh, uh, where the collarbone meets the sternum. And that's mm-hmm. the only place. And that doesn't really support any weight. Right. So the weight of the arms isn't going uh, down to the ground in the same way that a compression, compression structure would, because it's not resting on the ribs, right? It's not resting on the spine anyway. It's being held up in this sort of tension matrix. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and that's just important to understand, because what 
because if you're walking, get, get circling all the way back to you know your original comment, you know, it, with with the way that you walk, the way that you walk, uh, it might affect your feet directly, uh, but it also might affect your knees or it might affect your hips. Uh, the the way that you walk might put stresses on different areas of the body, and uh, well, you can think of it like uh, a chain. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, co a compression structure shares the load with the entire structure and you're going to notice that pain. You're going to notice the, uh, the the injury at the place of which is the weakest link. Right. Not necessarily the place where the, 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 the trauma happened, but, mm. but where the weakest link is now. So you could be. So while you're playing, I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm -hmm, so while sure. you're playing, you could essentially you're your back could be hurting while you're playing and you may think that it's like the way that you're sitting, but it could be something in your leg that's not adjusted correctly. It could. Yeah. The, uh, potentially now the expression of this is really complex. And also it's worth noting that even in an integrity structure, the place where the trauma happened has a lot more force at it. So the, the, so if you, if, if you impacted one corner of it, that, the, the, the force isn't shared equally through the entire thing. It's just shared through the entire thing. So the opposite side shares the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the impact, but not to the same degree as the place where the injury happened is. Mm. Right? Okay. So, so if your back is hurting, well, there's a good chance it's because there's something right around, right in that area or something pulling directly on that area, something directly related. So the, the farther, away from the, the injury you get, the less likely it is that, that, that that's what caused it. But right. it, it is possible. And, uh, you know, as with any kind of system like this, the, the, the true answer is almost always a complex one. Multiple causes, multiple effects, all mixed up. And this is one of the reasons why I can't say, do this, do this, do this, and, and why I try to avoid a prescriptive approach. To how right. to do things. But is there a diagnostic tool, or not a diagnostic tool, but a way of sort of evaluating what's going on if you're saying, oh, I'm having some, you know, I'm having some back pain when I'm playing? Because the, and the reason why I ask, I get, I mentioned I get a lot of emails about mm -hmm. it, and yeah. it's, it's either they're in, they're in pain now, mm -hmm. or they're worried about having pain later. Sure. And yeah. So from a diagnostic standpoint, do you recommend they get the book, they can start to understand the anatomy, and then they can sort of figure out how they should be sitting, how they should be, you know, how their posture should be, what they should be looking for, what they shouldn't be looking for. Uh, and I like I know the extent of the things that I know about about posture and about technique and things like that. You know, I'll see a lot of people say oh, well, my hands are killing me or I have blisters or, or I'm bleeding or something. And, and I know that there shouldn't be any pain when you're playing. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be, no matter how hard or how fast or how heavy you're playing, it's, everything should be loose and you should be using height for volume and you should be, you know, you should be using smaller gears like your wrists and your fingers for speed, not your whole arm. So you shouldn't be tensing up. So I know the, the very elementary principles of, of good, posture and good and good uh technique and knowing that there shouldn't be pain but are there other other things this is such a long question but but sure. are, are there other things that people should be looking for or, or is there other ways that people can maybe self to start to self-diagnose themselves yeah. and what they're doing so yeah there, there's a few things here so uh starting with posture uh 
there are some basic ideas for the way that posture works, right? And there are, and it's important to understand it properly. And not just to understand it in a sort of an abstract textbook way, but to understand the way that you experience that yourself. So one of the things is, you know, you can't make good decisions with bad information. Mm -hmm. And the, by definition, anything that takes information to the brain is called a sense. So, uh, well, and they... Well, uh, so, so check this out. So uh, imagine for a second that I snap my fingers and all of your senses go dark. Mm -hmm. What would life be like? Right. Would you be able to, for example, walk out the nearest door? This is a thought experiment I like to take my students through uh, because, well, in theory, you could walk out the door because your knowledge would still be there. Your experience, your knowledge of the room, your... Um, your muscles would work, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you'd never know if you made it. <laughs> right. Right? The, the, you know, you wouldn't be able to see, right? But you also wouldn't be able to hear or touch. But as it turns out, they lied to you in kindergarten. There's a lot more than just five senses. Mm-hmm. Right? You have a sense yeah. of balance called your vestibular sense. That's a sense. You have a sense of pain called nociception. You actually, you might have a couple of those. Um, you have a sense of itch. You actually might have a couple of those. Right? You have a sense of touch, but touch just gives you texture information. It tells you uh, the texture of things, uh, whether or not they're wet, um, uh, and whether or not they're vibrating. Right? right. And and what we think of what we call the tactile sense or sense of touch, that just tells it basically helps to tell us what things are made out of. And it sends information to the brain, to the part of the brain that sort of constructs what uh well, that constructs our world around us. Mm -hmm. They discovered a brand new sense a couple of years ago, which is basically emotional touch. And it responds to hugs and pets and that kind of thing. Right. And it's completely different sense. It's wired differently. Um, it has a lot of the same sensors, which is why they didn't notice it before. But it, uh, the neural pathways go up to the limbic system, which uh, uh, sort of is sort of like the emotional circuitry. Right. Uh, but it's a completely different sense, and it and it, and, uh, and it's experienced in a different way. Right. Hmm. Uh, you can't tell how much things weigh with touch. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That yeah. Just totally. tells you what what, what it feels like. What it feels like, right? In order to tell how much things weigh, you need uh, what they call the kinesthetic sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so that's called your sense of moving, and it tells you. Uh, well, it, it's made out of uh, stretch receptors right. that tells you how much tension is on uh, the your muscles, but especially in your connective tissue. And uh, it works a lot like the. Uh, scale at the grocery store. So you go to the produce department, you you know take your oranges and you put it in the basket, and and it and you have the thing with the dial and it turns right. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, behind the dial, there's a spring, uh, and so the more weight you put on it, the more the spring stretches and the and it's rigged to make that dial turn. I got it. And that's the way that the stretch receptors work. Uh, they just tell you how much tension there is on your muscles and connective tissue, and that's how you know how much things weigh. It also how it also lets you know how much effort you're putting out. So you can also think of, think of it as your sense of effort. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so I, I could I could go on for a while. They just discovered a magnetic sense in the brain last year. Uh, you know, point is, there's a lot of information coming to the brain, right? And if right. all of those go dark, you're not going to really know anything. Sure. Right? Be because that's how you gather information <laughs> right, through, right, through right. your senses, right? And so uh, the word... The next step of this is that there's a word that we use for how we experience that information, and that's feel, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you know you touch something, we're like, oh, well, this symbol sm feels smooth; it's unlathed, right? Or I feel hungry, or I feel itchy, or I feel pain, or I feel tense. This feels heavy, right? Uh, uh, I feel cold. That's thermoception. It's a different sense. Uh, I feel dizzy. That's your sense of balance, right? Mm -hmm. So the word feel is a generalized word uh, for how we experience what our body is telling us, right? right. So it's how we experience this information, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the key points here is training up your senses in the same way that you might do ear training, right? Ear training is a process that allows us to identify how we experience sounds and what that means. Okay. Right. So that means, you know, that, that particular experience is an octave, right? Oh, I know what that is. And now I have a word for it. And now I can go to the piano and play it. Right. Or a minor third versus a major third, you know, a major versus a minor. That's, you know, it, a, a minor chord feels a certain way. We experience it in a certain way and a major chord we experience in a different way, right? And when we have a, a clear, abstract kind of understanding of what that feeling is like that, and what that feeling means, then that gives us the power to use it better. Makes total sense to me. Right? And so when you understand the information that's coming to the body in a, uh, uh, in a clearer way, then that, again, allows you to make better, more informed decisions about how things are. So when you're sitting... Right. The you can feel tension here or you can feel pain there. Things can feel off or maybe the movements don't feel as graceful as they could. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, this is a whole thing that I, I take my students with through as well. Uh, uh, the kinesthetic sense, the sense of moving in particular, is a really important one to get to know. Right. right. So like if you if you're going to study cooking, you need to taste your food. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the sense of taste is a really important one. If you're panting, vision's really important. If you're learning about moving, your sense of moving is pretty darn important and you really need to get to know it. Mm -hmm. Right. So you end up with. Uh, 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 so what I have them do is I just have them brainstorm a list of words that describe moving, but not like not action words, but adjectives. Hmm. So, for example, they might say graceful or awkward. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. And, and, how, and long so does the, how long does the exercise take? Like, could we go through it? Well, Or uh, is there, like, more physicality involved with it, too? Well, uh, no, no, we could go through it. So you could just imagine uh, words that uh, 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 describe, for example, how, how Michael Jordan moves. Mm -hmm. so, so what words would you, would you use to describe Michael Jordan? Uh, graceful, uh, sleek, mm -hmm. um, uh, fluid. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like majestic when he mm -hmm. flies through the air. Uh, all adjectives, right? 
Yeah. Uh, right. Powerful, maybe. Yeah. Powerful. Quick. Quick. Easy. He makes it look easy. Easy. Mm-hmm. Effortless. Right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, so uh, we'll just yeah, make it we'll, with that. in it there. That's that's a quick one. Now, uh, 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 imagine um, uh, somebody who's really awkward. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so. Um, I don't have any, you know, famous people that I can say. What, what about this person? But right. imagine somebody who's, you know. So, so, so those are all positive words. What are some negative words to describe how people move? Like an anti Michael Jordan. Uh, well, you'd say awkward, um, mm-hmm. clunky, maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh slow, stiff. Uh huh. Good. Um. Uh, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Um, yeah, well, we could just leave it right there. Yeah. Difficult, right? So, the, uh, um, I mean, the, I in the book I have a, a big list, you know, uh, for this. But basically, you can start to, uh, to to draw lines. Like graceful is the opposite of awkward, mm-hmm. right? Uh, fast, quick is the opposite of slow, right? Fluid is the opposite of stiff. Right. But when you dive into it, uh, remember that all of these words are uh, information that's provided by those stretch receptors I mentioned earlier. Mm. Right. And so there's two classes of information that, that this stuff is giving us. Right. The one of them is how much tension is on a particular area. Right. And so if uh, if if uh, uh, if there's a lot of tension on an area, it's not going to move well because it's already kind of maxed out. Imagine a, a spring that's already pulled really stiff, and now you try to pull it even more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you end up with words that talk about how easy it is to move, right, mm-hmm. versus how hard it is. Sure. So somebody like Michael Jordan, he makes it look easy because well, he's well within his ability to, to, to move, right? Um, and then you also have a class of words that talk about how the body works as a group. Right, so mm-hmm. coordination works. Were coordination words, mm-hmm. right? So graceful is a coordination word. It describes how well the body works together to achieve its goals. Right, yep. and graceful means you do that really well, and awkward means you really don't do that well. <laughs> right. That it, that you're uncoordinated. Right, right. Clunky, it's an uncoordinated word. Mm-hmm. Slow might be an uncoordinated word, but it could also be just a direct tension word. Right. Right. Stiff. That's a tension word. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so there's some crossover with this, but that's basically the idea. And when you create a a list of words that describe how we experience that sense, then we get to know it a lot better. We value that information better. We are aware of it more. And then we can just include it in our decision-making better. There is a tendency for the, that humans have is to, uh, to, to value, especially what we see, but <clears throat> excuse me, to value uh, the obvious information and to sort of create a tunnel vision for that and ignore the other stuff. 
Right. And the the kinesthetic feeling that we have, you know, the kinesthetic information, it's it does it it's absolutely in the brain. You know, we we do feel it, but it's not as loud. It's uh, it's uh, as like vision information or some other things. And mm-hmm. also, if we are thinking, okay, I'm going to sit at the drums, and now in order to get better at the drums, I need to think about the drums, I need to be think about the sound, I need to be think about this, I need to look at my hands, right? All of these things, you know, does my technique look good, right? right. Then we're, we'll, we're going to create a tunnel vision for, for what we expect to experience, and we're going to ignore all the other stuff, right? right? Mm-hmm. And this is really just a form of listening, right? In order to know stuff, in order to to uh, to know information, you have to listen, right? And so this is just a matter of listening to your body. And there's a lot more than just sound that goes into it, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So, <clears throat> so this allows you to include that. So, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. So when you are goal-oriented, when you're – what's the best way to say that? So when you are uh, thinking that you're going to learn it this way, Right. If, if if what does this look like? What is that? Right. You're going to pay attention to those things, mm-hmm. and you're going to ignore the other stuff. That's not something that you can get around. Right. That's just sort of a default thing that everybody does, and you can't really avoid that. But what you can do by creating this uh, this list by understanding these words and by making a sort of an abstract grouping in your mind uh, that uh, that allows you to get to know the stuff. Right. That will then allow you to include that in your uh, sort of self-directed experience. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in other sense. words, it sort of, it turns what could be a weakness into a strength. Right. Right. Cool. And allows you to do it better than you ever would have, would have before. Hmm. Right. You know, so, uh, and it's just a matter of creating a, a grouping of words. You know, I mean, we have these with color words, you know, we go to, uh, um, you know, kindergarten and they have, you know, red, blue, green, dark, light, you know, uh, all these, all these words that are color words that sort of group together in a, in a mental concept. And we have them all on the same poster and we're taught to, taught them at the same time, but we're never taught these words, even though, you know, they're a thing. Right. 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 So getting back to your question, how do you troubleshoot your own, uh, your own posture? Well, you have to, you, you must, absolutely must rely on that information. Mm. So that's, that is the first thing of how you do it, right? So, um, uh, and I will go so far as to say that there's not really any way to do it other than that. Anything yeah. else is just guessing. Right? Sure. It's like trying to catch a ball with your eyes closed. Right, right, right. Right? You need to know this information in order to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Right? In order to discover the little things about the way that you're sitting, the way that you're standing. Are you, do you have more weight on your, your, your right hip or your left hip? Right. Uh, spoiler alert for most drummers out there, it's probably their left hip. Because a lot of people will lean slightly on their left hip in order to, uh, uh, to, to reduce t- uh, the weight of their leg. Their, their bass drum leg to give them a little bit extra bass drum. Really? Yeah. This is actually something that I knew from, from studying the classes that Bernard Purdy, when I studied with him, he's like, you know, the way you're sitting, you know, it, it's funny because when I started to study with Bernard Purdy, he, almost everything he said to me was stuff that I had already learned from this moving, from studying moving. And I'm like, Oh, I knew I shouldn't do that. I didn't realize I was that kind of stuff. So, you know, and one of his things that, uh, that really blew my mind was 
talking about how the way that you sit is uh, uh, governs your time mm-hmm. and uh, and governs your experience and uh, um, uh, governs how you feel. Sure. And so, uh, um, you know, ultimately, we're not, you know, not, you know, most of us out there aren't trying to be um, uh, the fastest drummer ever. Yeah, I'm not. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, uh, quick, quick sidebar. I, I, uh, uh, I have two defective genes. I discovered this by doing a, a genetic test. Uh, with a 23andMe, but I have two defective genes for for proteins in my muscles, so uh, I'm just never going to be that fast. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, I mean, I, I I can I can play pretty well, you know. I, I mean, I have some decent speed. Right. But I'm never, ever, ever, no matter how hard I work, I'm never going to be able to set a world record. Right. Well, but, I think yeah, I'm with which you. is fine <laughs> because that's not what music's about. Of course. Right. Music is, you know, the music is about your experience of it. It's not about the notes that you play. It's about the people. You know, I have a I have a thing that I always say that there's a difference between drumming and music. So drum playing fast and setting world records has a lot to do with drumming, has nothing to do with music. Yeah, well, it, it does insofar that it allows you to express yourself better, because sometimes there's times when playing really fast is appropriate and allows you to express yourself i mean can you imagine thomas pridgen uh expressing himself in the way that he does without that insane speed yeah but i think that well i I don't know i mean like i feel like i express myself the way that i want to but i but i don't i don't have blazing chops like he sure, does. but but then you're not Thomas Pridgen, and you're not saying the same things, right? Right. I mean, right. Thomas Pridgen is a fireball. I mean, he's oh, just he's an the... explosion. He's, I, I love his playing. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Right. And uh, uh, but in order to create that just sort of manic, uh, you know, uh, you know, mania. I guess I'll leave it there. Uh, you know, the that kind of thing. The the way he plays it, the way that he goes about it, and all of that technique, it all feeds into his artistic expression. Sure. Right? The, uh, uh, you know, you don't need it for Charlie Watts. Right. right? You don't need it for Zigaboo. I, I guess what I was saying is if, if the mean – using the speed and all that stuff as a means to an end is one thing, but playing fast for the sake of playing fast – has That's, a lot has a lot to do with drumming and not to do with music is what I yeah the, playing right right playing fast for the sake of playing fast that's about ego right, right. now you're having a, a con- you know you're talking with somebody that's always talking about themselves right and talking about how great they are it's just douchey right right they uh, um, you know and and it and again it's not about the notes that you play it's not you know in the same way it's not about the words that you say it's about how people hear them. It's about what those words mean to the person that you're communicating with, mm-hmm. right? It's not about the notes that you play on the drums. It's about how they're, you know, how they're felt, and you can, you can have some really big words, <laughs> yeah. right? And if you're just using those big words in order to sound smart, that's not what's going to happen. Sure, you know the, uh, uh, and you can communicate incredibly deep ideas using very simple vocabulary. Right, the it's not about the words that you use, simple or not. Simple isn't, you know, isn't right either. There's people that play simply because they're supposed to, and that's not right. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're, you're just, you're supposed to communicate the ideas that you have. Sure. sure. Right. Be yourself. That's, you know, I mean, ultimately music, you know, it's a, um, it's a way of experiencing somebody else's brain. Musicians Institute in Hollywood is now the official education partner of Drummer's Resource, and they have a very important message about making it now in this climate of the of the music business. Most in-demand drummers, they've always focused on musical issues such as touch and tone and feel, but those techniques are no longer enough now in this musical climate. Many today's successful drummers are also experts in business, music, and all areas of content creation, songwriting, recording, etc., so in order to stay working, Musicians Institute suggests that you not ignore these trends. Rather than allowing engineers and business people to define your artistic success, today's drummers are embracing working and playing with them. So not only do you have to get your drumming chops together, you also have to get your business and tech chops together. And I could not agree more. Hey, what are you going to do with all those broken symbols that you have in the corner of your room? I got an idea for you. You can take them to a participating retailer and you can trade them in on a new dream symbol or gong. For every inch of symbol that you bring in, you'll get a dollar off. So if you have four 20-inch symbols sitting in the corner, guess what? You get 80 bucks off of your next symbol or gong, your next dream symbol or gong. And they take those symbols, they melt them down, they recycle them, and they make other products out of it. So I recommend that you check them out. Also, a little suggestion, check out their crop circles. They sent me one, and it's designed by Scott Pellegrum, who I've had on the podcast, and it is awesome. It's a really neat sound effect that you can put on your snare and on your cymbals and on your toms. It's just, it's really cool. Check them out, learn about the recycling program, learn about the crop circles, learn about everything they got going on over there at dreamsymbols.com. And now, let's get back into it with John Lamb. One of the things that you said about making, about not un, not knowing uh, sort of what's going on if if you don't have the the right information and you're sort of guessing. I remember when I learned that I should be using rebound and that I shouldn't be feeling all this tension in my hands when I'm doing doubles. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically, I, like I know where I was, I, you know, I remember this very vividly when I was playing a paradiddle on a pad and it went from being like strokes that I was, that I was stroking each one out mm-hmm. to it feeling the rebound and it turning into like this fluid bounce thing that was happening and, and like my head exploded. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but and I knew that I was supposed to be feeling that. I just never did, and then one day I did. But I, I to your point that if I didn't know that that was what I was trying to achieve, I, I don't think I would have ever noticed it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Does that Absolutely. make sense? I would, I would have sort of either not been working towards that or saw it was like, oh, that's kind of weird, and then just never really paid attention to it. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, I totally understand. You know, there's uh, 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 there's a you're familiar with a uh, far side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cartoons. There's one in particular that I think is just a brilliant piece of uh, of art. Uh, it's called Mivdale School for the Gifted, and uh, um, it uh, uh, has this kid. Uh, pushing on a door that, you know, and the, the door says pull and he's just pushing as hard as he can, you know, and the, the name of the school is Mivdale School for the Gifted. Oh, I, I know exactly. I know. 
exactly the one that you're talking about. That's yeah. that that is a cartoon. The guy's like leaning some... up. He's like leaning up yep. against the door. Yeah, <laughs> it has some deep personal meaning for me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. So I mean, there, there's a lot of things, you know. So um, a lot of my current understanding of music uh, came to me really late. You know, they uh, um, <clears throat> they uh, uh, you know I, I spent a long time with really bad technique. And not really understanding what music was about, not really understanding what music was for, and just sort of floating. You know, uh, uh, this is something again that I uh, credit Bernard Purdy for for really helping me a lot with. You know, he uh, well, he kicked my ass. Uh, you know, and and at the end of one of the lessons, he's like, you know, you, you're lost. You're just lost. And I, I totally was because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, you know, I didn't know what to look for. You know, I didn't right. know any of that. And, uh, um, you know, and that's and, a hard and, thing to hear from someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. Bernard Purdy. Well, uh, I, I mean, it was amazing though, because I mean, I, I left that lesson, uh, with my head swimming, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, at my next gig, I had a gig two days later and the, the bass player told me that whatever he told me, it was working. <laughs> so oh, nice. it helped. I mean, it helped, it helped more than I can say, but, uh, um, the, uh, um, the the point is, if you don't know what to look for, it you can really get lost. Right. Right. And that's one of the ideas of the book is just as working as a guide for things to to, to look for. Right. It, you know, you can talk about the whole kinesthetic sense. Right. And and this is this is something that uh, this is a bone that I have to pick with um, a lot of education in general, but music education in particular which is that you're told to be sloppy or, you know, or all of these other words that can be really ambiguous. And if somebody doesn't know what you're saying, they can just get lost. Right. You know, and, and they could spend a lot of time spinning their wheels, not knowing what to do, trying to do things wrong. Uh, you know, you know, like Mivdale school for the push, push, push this way. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, uh, and not know where to go. Right. You know, and there's there's a lot of things. This is one of the reasons that, uh, um, um, you know, I, I, I'm big on saying uh, uh, it's not all in the wrist. Right. Because that's a saying that we hear all the time. You know, it's it's in the wrist. It's in the wrist. You know, and uh, the, the last feature I did for Drum Magazine, um, that's that's why I called it this is it's not all in the wrist, because if you tell somebody it's all in the wrist, really, that's a metaphor. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot of it that's in the wrist. The wrist is really darn important, and it's got, you know, that's the main idea, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not all in the wrist. And if you tell somebody it's all in the wrist, some people are going to get the idea that it's a metaphor, and other people are going to try to make it all in the wrist. Right. And if you sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to make this all in the wrist, so I'm going to put my forearms on the table so I can't move anything but the wrist, you're going to end up learning it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to end up being really stiff and slow and uh, um, uh, uh, and the, and set yourself up for injury and pain later. Right. Because it's not getting back to the idea of tensegrity. The whole body is designed to move together. Right. So if you um, if you take a wrist stroke, say that wrist is the primary mover. Right. And so here's the idea with the gears. Right. The uh, if the wrist is the primary mover. Well, that's great. That's a thing. You, you, it's an absolute thing that you can do and it can be wonderful. But you don't want to you don't wanna ever isolate that. So it's the only thing that moves. Mm-hmm. Because when you take 
so with the idea of a tensegrity structure, it, the movement is designed to be shared throughout the entire structure. And if you take one part of it uh, and wiggle it, and again, you can see this really clearly with an actual model. Um, if you take one part of it and move it, the whole that the, the part that you move is going to move the most. But the, that movement is going to ripple through the entire structure. Right. And if you stop that rippling from happening, like if you hold the rest of the structure still and just move that one area, it takes a lot more effort to do it. Uh, uh, it literally takes more work in order to make that same movement happen. Uh, but you're also stressing out that particular area. You're causing a lot more movement in that one area than you would have otherwise, and you add a lot more uh, uh, trauma to that one area. Right. Huh. Right. And and that's going to set yourself up for injury. Right. So you're not doing. So so now you're you're not. It doesn't feel right. Nobody who's who's done that uh, put their forearms on the table and tried to move that way. It's not a natural movement. That's why you need to put your forearm on the table in order to make that happen. Right. It's it's right. The so the the. The, the movement is not all in the wrist, you know, and, uh, and even if you take people that say things like that, like, uh, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Murray Spivak, for example. Mm -hmm. um, he, he said that to, uh, uh, there's a DVD of him teaching uh, Louis Belson. Right. Giving a lesson to Louis Belson, uh, uh, really fun watch. And uh, uh, and at one point he says it's all in the wrist, and then he follows that up immediately by saying, "And notice that when when you move your wrist, the elbow moves." <laughs> <laughs> he followed it up with with the you know that it with you know with the with the proper information that the whole body moves together. Right. Right. Yeah. But but by saying something. That that can be heard in different ways, like that. That that that's not really clear. Then that that sets itself up. That that sets it up for misunderstanding to some students, because some students are going to hear it the way that you read it. Some students aren't. Right. So yeah. it as an educator, it uh, uh, I think it's important to be really clear as to exactly what's going on, so that the student knows exactly what's going on, because they're going to base their decisions based on their understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's I, I, I love the uh just the the notion of you can't make good decisions with bad information. It like it all goes back to that, you know? Yeah. And learn and understanding that sort of everything is connected and, and one thing does not happen uh independently of, of all the other stuff that's that's going on and, and you know, that's one for your playing, that's a that's a way to approach your playing to make sure that that you know it kind of it, it reminds me of playing in a band Od yeah. oddly like one thing has they're all it's all interconnected so mm -hmm. what i'm doing it's going to affect the bass player yeah and you can't sound great if the bass player is not doing their job right 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 you can play you can be amazing and not sound that <laughs> sound right. not amazing yeah right? well i'm sure you've been in two different gig situations where somebody in the band, you know, especially if it's a bass player doesn't play that well. And you feel like, <laughs> you feel like you're like going against the grain, but then when you're in another band and everybody plays really well, it's like, Oh my God. You're like, this is easy. It's yeah. Like, it's like floating. 
Yeah. yeah, I lived in Asia for a few years doing the hotel circuit. And uh, uh, there's some really good musicians on, uh, out there, and there's some really bad musicians out there. And I was a freelance drummer, so I ended up in lots of different situations with lots of different bands. Right. And I ended up playing with lots of uh, um, Europeans and uh, uh, and Asian musicians uh, for, for quite a while. Uh, you know, uh, I was the only American uh, or almost the only American in, in most of the bands. And uh, at one point, I got in a band with mostly other Americans. I'm like, oh, wait, that's how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it just feels, right? yeah, it feels different. Yeah. You know, I mean, but I mean, I, I exaggerate to some degree. Well, I mean, no, that's totally true. But uh, uh, but it's not to say that, you know, there weren't Europeans that really had it. And, you know, I, I remember uh, playing with uh, sitting in with a, uh, a Thai band in Bangkok and just being blown away by how good the feel was. Hmm. Just like, wow, like, like, like Americans don't play this well, mostly, you know, it's like just being deeply impressed. But uh, uh you know, so so it's not a I just just to say, but it's you know, we're it's it's a cultural sort of how do you say that? It's a, you know, so, I mean, we play what we play in the same way that we have like accents. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? So so I mean, it, it, I I'm terrible at copying accents. I'm I'm dreadful at it, right? And uh, um, and so if you ask me to talk like somebody else, I, I, I if I try to, which I will try to not, but uh, but if I have to, then I'm going to suck at it, right? right. And I'm just not going to get it right, mm -hmm. you know. And and it's the same sort of sort of way. I, that's my understanding of uh, uh, with 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 styles. Uh, you know, you, you say it in a certain certain sort of way, um, and and you get to know it because of that accent. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I'm not speaking clearly here, but uh, no, no, no. I I 100 percent uh, understand what you're saying. So you know, I I sound like I'm a guy from Philly, and if I go and I try to do a British accent, I'm gonna sound like a guy from Philly trying to do a British accent. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is is in the uh, uh, for the most part, uh, not not totally, but uh, uh, you know, on the hotel circuit, you're playing American music. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm I'm the only American playing the American music, and you know, a lot of times the accents weren't quite right. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so if people want to, where's the best place that they can connect with you, and where they can uh, pick up a copy of the book? Oh, Amazon uh, is great, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, my website johnlamdrums.com. Um, I have started up a, a blog where I'm answering people's questions, uh, and uh, so you can check that out at the website. Also, Instagram at Anatomy of Drumming cool. is a great place. Um, yeah, uh, on the on the topic of of feel, and also on the topic of developing a language for it. Or, 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 on the topic of, of clear communication about it, mm -hmm. this is something that I did not get properly uh when i was coming up and i ended up writing a different book called a, a matter of time and the, the the concept behind there is that the definition of rhythm in your music theory textbook sucks <laughs> uh, not it it i have a collection of 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 definitions and they amount to uh essentially a succession of thumps Right. You right. play a note and sometime later you play a different one and then the, the, they measure the space in between the notes. Right. And then and you play other things and then 
there's another thump. Right. Yeah, it's like and the, ones and zeros almost, you know. Yeah. And that's a definition that nobody likes. Even the people that write the definition of rhythm that way don't like that definition. Uh, the, uh, uh, I, got, I spent uh, uh, some quality time in the college library uh, just pulling off music theory textbooks and, uh, uh, and journals where music theorists write to other music theorists. And, uh, um, and, and sort of reading up on that. And, and nobody likes that definition. And uh, so I figured that you should define rhythm according to how the brain and the body changes when you listen to rhythm. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, to make a long story short, it's actually pretty straightforward and really well studied uh, in the field of music therapy. Nice. And the to uh, basically we when we listen to rhythm when we when we listen to music our brain synchronizes to the music to to uh, a bit of a simplification but we start to think in time with the music mm-hmm. and so rhythm isn't a thing that we have there's no metronome in the brain that keeps perfect time instead it's something that we're in it's something that is by definition shared hmm and that's an interesting concept i didn't, didn't never Never knew that or never thought of it like that. Yeah, it blew my mind too. It, uh, it really changed the way that I think about things and play too. And it's like, ah, oh, I should have done this for him, you know. Um, and, uh, um, uh, you know, had, had one of these big, you know, forehead smacking moments like, oh <laughs> right. my God, you know. <laughs> I have those frequent, I have those daily. So. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but uh, it turns out that, uh, uh, that there, you can actually, uh, and I'm, I'm working on this, with a matter of time, I ended up, I, I didn't finish it. I put it out because I needed to get that done and to move on to some other things. Uh, and I'm working on a follow-up now, uh, but uh, um, but it's really only half a book. That's uh, but uh, anyways. Um, what, what do you mean it's only half? A, it's all, oh, it's only half done. It's well, it's 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 half a book. Uh, and and when I when I put it out, uh, I I knew it was only half a book that it wasn't the full book because the full book will be would be something that develops this into a language, mm. right? To into a concrete language, and and that's and it's a little bit tricky, but uh, um, and I haven't quite figured out. I've got some ideas on how to do it, but. Uh, um, I've got uh, a lot of other things on my plate right now. So, but anyway, but the thing is with a downbeat, the reason we call it a downbeat is it feels, it's got this downness to it. It's got this heaviness to it. Yeah. Right. And an upbeat, it's got this upness to it. Mm -hmm. Have you, you, have you ever seen, you've seen that snapping video? No. Uh, Keep talking and I'll look, I'll look for it while we're, while you're talking. Okay, so, uh, so when you talk about the downbeat and the upbeat, right? Well, or uh, let me say this first, which is that we talk about rhythm like it's a particle, mm-hmm. right? But really, it's a wave. Huh. And and it's got and it's not in one dimension. It's not ones and zeros. It's got ups and downs. And and uh, and the downbeat, it's it's sort of one edge of of the wave, and the upbeat's at the other edge of the wave. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and, and we experience those in terms of feel. Right? right. And so when you talk about somebody that's got great feel. Right. We're literally talking about the feeling of the music, the way that we experience the music. Right. Right. And when you talk about the downbeat, it's got a particular feel that you can pull out of the rest. 
right? And that's why you can say the downbeat in, uh, well, there's different, different definitions of downbeat, right? You can say the downbeat as in the first, first note of the bar, right? That's one definition of, of downbeat. But, um, t- but talking about the downbeat as the, 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 the beat that feels like it goes down, uh, that's why you can say Brazilian music, the downbeat is on two, mm-hmm. right? And the upbeat's on one. When they talk about turn the beat around, they literally mean turning the beat <laughs> they around. They really mean it. Turn. They really mean that, It's like right? flip-flop in the clave. I've done that. Yeah, yeah. So, right? You, you turn <laughs> it's like it, riding right? a but, horse backwards. You know, but, but, but now you have that, that sets up a vocabulary that you can use to, dis- to describe and explain in a clear way, in a way that somebody can then grab in a concrete way and then use. Mm-hmm. Totally. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The um the video that I, I I'll I'll have to link up to it on the show notes and I'll send it to you. And I forget who who it was. I want to say it might have been like Sammy Davis Jr. or something. I don't remember who it was. But the concept is of where when you're snapping, you don't snap at the at while you're if your hand if you're snapping from up to down, you don't mm-hmm. snap at the top. You snap at the bottom. So yeah. it's it's like this falling down and you're snapping at the very very end of that falling down and the key is to snap as far down as you can and still be in time so that way you start to feel the time really far back and it sits and it sits perfectly and it swings more than i mean just the difference of like snapping at the top versus snapping all the way at the bottom is either way there's still on beat, but one is well ahead and one is well behind. In a, you know, in but still there. Interesting. I'll have to play around with that. Yeah, I'll I'll yeah. Sh- and I'll, once I get the video to da- actually Daniel Glass is the one who who told me about it years ago and was you know explained the whole thing to me. Uh, but it's a really interesting concept of feeling that that even if you're you know if you have a metronome of just a ta- of just snapping but like falling pop. Bop, like way down, you know, as far as you can get it to go down, and it's I don't, it's a it's a cool little exercise. Try it, try it sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm definitely gonna play around with that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I am going to um, I, I'm gonna link up to everything in the show notes. I'll link to the book. I'll link to how people can get in touch with you. Uh, I'll link to that to that snapping video as well. If you could send me those videos of the of the stuff that you had mentioned um, uh, earlier that we can put up there too for for the listeners to check out, that would be great. And uh, and John, thank you for one for writing the book and uh, for two and two for taking the time to to chat with me today and and uh, sharing the expertise that you've that you spent many many hours and years studying. We appreciate it. Absolutely, not a problem. Oh, uh, before we finish up, there's uh, there's two things that I wanted to add. Sure. Uh, I, I wanted to circle back to these, but we, we didn't have a chance. But uh, uh, but to get back to your question uh, about the the posture thing, there are two other things. One is I did a thing for Dromeo uh, specifically on posture. Mm-hmm. So uh, anybody listening out there can just look it up on YouTube. Okay. And, I'll, I can. I'll link up it. to it too. Yeah, and then the other thing too is as far as uh, like the way that you sit. Uh, there is this idea out there that you just have to work out and get stronger to sit better. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I, I can think of you know, uh, well, uh, one very good drummer. Uh, I uh, I have uh, I had a lesson with as 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 teaching him because he was asking about back pain. Um, 
uh, he was thinking, I just need to, to, to get stronger to make my back stronger so my back doesn't hurt. Hmm. And, the, Which, you know, there's, there's this idea that if that you give 110%, you work harder, you work harder, you work harder, you work harder. I, right? I have to imagine that there's some core strength that goes in, into it, too, though, right? There is. There is. And, uh, uh, you know, and that's not entirely wrong, but there's something else that also matters, which is, uh, uh, for example, uh, what, the way that you sit makes things physically easier. Hmm. Right or or physically harder, and if you are if you're sitting really well, the muscles that basically keep your head from falling off, uh, they're doing about ten to twelve pounds worth of work because of the head. Well, the head weighs about as much as, as a bowling ball. Um, uh, but when you lean over, uh, so like if you're going to look down at your snare drum, now they're doing about thirty pounds worth of work. And if you look all the way down, as in to look at your, uh, if you're holding like your cell phone right mm -hmm. in front of you, and you look down at your cell phone, now they're doing about 60 pounds worth of work. So they're carrying about as much weight as an army backpack. Really? Yeah. So the way that you sit uh, really can make things a lot easier or harder, and it's not always a matter of just getting stronger. Right? Some small adjustments can really facilitate ease of movement. That's an interesting – and what I know, it kind of reminds me of the – what do they say? Every pound that you lose takes 10 pounds off your knees or something along yeah. 10 pounds of pressure off your knees or something like that. That's true. Although the thing is, if there's 10 extra pounds of pressure on your knees, your knees are going to get 10 pounds of pressure that much stronger. Say that again. So, uh, uh, if, uh, if, if there's more weight going through the knees, the body is going to adapt to that and, and get stronger as a result. So they've done, uh, for example, they've done studies with twins, you know, with, with twins that are of different weights. And they find that the, the structures, you know, the support structures uh, uh, in the, the heavier twin are just stronger. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean that would be true. They just they adapt. Take, yeah, but, you, but your knees are going to adapt to the, lo the lower, you know, the lower weight and they'll just get weaker as a result. Oh, so it's not necessarily beneficial not that it's yeah. not beneficial to lose weight, but it's not beneficial to your knees over the like to to gain or to lose weight because they'll just get weaker. Not specifically, yeah. Of course, the other thing though is that if you jump, right, the then the weight that spikes through your uh, the, the way the uh, the weight that goes through your knees spikes like a lot. Right. Right. And the and impact. if you're heavier, it's going to be an exponentially greater spike. So sure. there, I, I suppose there is that too. But right. Yeah. This is all interesting stuff, man. All interesting stuff. Oh, one question for you. So do you recommend yeah. getting the book? Because I don't have a copy of the book. So do you recommend getting uh, Kindle or do you recommend getting the, the hardcover? Oh, the hardcover looks a lot better. I'm sure. So, um, yeah, so, the, uh, so the, the Kindle works. You know, All of the information will be there. All of the images will be there. Some people have display issues with them. Okay. Amazon is does, is not really taking the the approach that uh, Apple takes. Mm -hmm. you know, with Apple, you have everything, and everything is deeply compatible with each, with its with each other. Right. But uh, Amazon has a ton of different Kindle devices, and uh, and they don't all display the information the right way. Okay. And um, I actually have a couple negative reviews on uh, um, uh, on Amazon for the book that are like, I can't get the book to work right ah. on Kindle. You okay. know, and I'm like, ah. Can't do anything about that. Right. All right. So I'll get the <laughs> you know. I'll get the hard copy then. 
good yeah. deal. And uh, again, I will I'll link up to all this stuff where where people can get it. So I encourage people to get the hard copy because one, it's I mean you know then you can have it in your hand, you can make notes, and I'm sure the that you'll you well one you won't have display issues, but two you get to you get to look at it and have it you know you can reference it often and and I don't know there's just something about having a physical book that I like so. Um, yeah, the the other thing too is that the um, as far as the the, the e version goes, the 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 e version rearranges the information, right. so that from a design perspective, uh, I can put an image next to the text in the book, sure, and I can have things laid out in the book uh, in a way that does it uh, move. Well, that, right, right, right. So 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 I can I can say that this image goes to next to that text mm -hmm. in in the book. Um, and I can have it look good and I can have it easy on the eye. Um, uh, but on an e-version, uh, I don't get that option. I just sort of, I, I have to lay it out like a, an early nineties webpage. Right. And, <laughs> and then you can, and, uh, you know, and then the user gets to adjust, you know, the font and the, the other things, you know, so if I want to change the font in order to call attention to a particular word that gets lost. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, um, I mean, th there's advantages to that, uh, as a reader. So it's just your choice, but you know, as a as, from a design perspective, it doesn't work as well. Sure, it makes sense. John, thank you for your time, buddy. I do appreciate it, and uh, let's keep in touch, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely, man. Glad to glad to have you on, and glad to get this information out to the uh, the listeners. So, good deal. All right, thanks, John. Thanks again, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, bye. See you. There you have it, the one and only John Lamb talking about the anatomy of drumming for all the notes, videos, models, everything that we talk about, where you can get the book, all of that is at drummersresource.com forward slash 247. Also, let me know your thoughts on me combining or not combining my social accounts. If you want to follow my social accounts, we're at Drummers Resource everywhere except Twitter. It's Drummers R Source because there's only... 15 characters and drummers resources 16 or you can follow my personal stuff at the nick raffini everywhere so i hope you'll do that and until the next podcast keep drumming thanks so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace